How many disciples have I made so far? How many disciples have you made? How many people today can stand and say, if it was not of Patrick, I would not be where I am today. If it was not of Kwaile, I would not have been standing as a believer today. How many people can say that in our church today? Just have that at the back of your mind as we get into, get into this teaching. I'm hoping I'll finish today. If not, I'll speak to my generous pastor to finish next week. So I'm not going to rush myself because I believe the Lord wants to speak to us. The Lord wants to trigger something in our hearts. And if we want God to do something, we need to give him time to work inside of us. I've come to realize that when I, whenever I get into time of prayer, the longer I linger around God, the longer the glory gets thicker and thicker. And I want to encourage you today that as you spend time with God, don't be in a rush. Don't do a microwave prayer. Don't do the McDonald's with God. You know, spend time in God. Wait upon God. Because when you do that, you're telling heaven, I'm really here and I want more of you. And heaven will come in response to your attitude. So, let's take it easy this morning. Now, if I'm to ask you a question today, as to what is the greatest act of love that you have experienced or that you have given out, what would it be? If I would ask you today, what is the greatest act of love you have experienced or have given out, what would it be? Some would say giving a helping hand when someone is in need is one of the greatest acts of love. True? Some would say giving a smile, a hug, or a great compliment when someone is in distress could be a great act of love. Ensuring that someone has a roof over their, their head. In winter, you look at people who are in the streets, it gets very, very cold. And I'm telling you, giving somebody a roof over their head would be a great act of love. Could it be ensuring that no one goes to bed empty, with empty tummies? Could it be ensuring that every girl child has access to sanitary pads? What, what is it? What could be the greatest act of love you would have given out? Could it be ensuring that child labor, child trafficking, and child abuse comes to an end? I guess depending on how you're wired, you could pick any one of these and you could say, this is a great act of love. But today I want to talk to you about another great act of love. And I would say the greatest act of love. In my mind, in my opinion, the greatest act of love is an act that leaves you in a place where you are better off in terms of eternity. Hallelujah. That is the greatest act of love. Because you see, there isn't any, anything to talk about if I give you food to eat and I leave your soul to perish in hell. It doesn't mean much to give you roof over your head and leave no roof over your spirit man. It doesn't mean much to feed your tummy and leaving your spirit man wilting and dying in the process. Now I want you to understand that all these acts are really great, but they fall short of the greatest act of love. 
When you're talking about philanthropy, people who like giving out, go into the world and you'll see that there are a lot of givers. Talk about Oprah Winfrey. Talk about the Bill Gates family. How much giving comes out of those families? But my question today is what difference has that giving made in the spirit man of the people who are at the receiving end? Now as a church we need to be careful. We are not called to be a social entity that only looks after social needs of people. When a church only looks after shelter and food, it has lost its purpose. So this morning when we do GOP, Go Christian Church Outreach Programs, what is the intended objective when we have given out the century pads? Is it only to make somebody comfortable for a moment? But guess what? If that is our only intention, our act of love is short-sighted. So I want to talk to you this morning about this, the greatest act of love. And I'm saying it is the act that leads somebody in a better position in terms of eternity. You see, when you've given your clothes, your ultimate objective would be for that person to see the love of God and to come to a place of saying yes to Jesus. Let's go to Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 to 20. This is a very popular portion of scriptures that we have gotten to know. Verse, 20, verse 16, the Bible says, Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus appeared to his disciples a number of times after he rose from the dead. And this was one of the last moments when he appeared before his disciples. And I want you to understand how important this meeting was. For Jesus because as far as Jesus was concerned he was done with being on earth but he knew that the fact that he had risen from the dead there was now a possibility for more Jesus type of people to move on and do what Jesus was doing before he died so when he went to his disciples I don't know what his disciples were expecting him to, to expecting him to say maybe they were expecting him to say go and build many churches I don't know what they were expecting him to say. But listen to what Jesus said. He said, gentlemen, it comes down to this. Go and make disciples of all nations. And this morning, this is the question that the Lord is posing to us. How many disciples are we making? You see, there's nothing wrong with having auditoriums. There's nothing wrong with having all the gleam and the glitter that we need in the church, the lights and the speakers and everything that we can buy. But if all those things don't lead to the making of disciples, it's worthless. Do not allow the devil to rob you this morning. Because if we do not grasp this principle as a church, we would have lost ourselves. 
Any church that does not lead people to God has lost itself. It might as well close its doors and go. So Jesus told his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. He did not say go and create holy huddles. And that is what we're finding in the church more and more. We're very comfortable with being us four, us five, and no more. Those of us who are leading our cell groups, how many more people have been coming through to our cell groups? Have we come to a place where we're too comfortable, so comfortable that we do not, do not want anyone else to come in? How many disciples have we made? So Jesus says, this is the issue, this is the story, this is why I came back, this is why I died on the cross for us to... Continue preaching. For us to make disciples of all nations. Now, what is the state of evangelism? Am I, can you hear me? Am I fine? Great. What is the state of evangelism today? And I'm so excited because I'm talking to people who've been evangelized. The reason why, my sister, you're here today is because somebody went out of their way and they shared with you the gospel. The reason why I'm here today, more than 22 years ago, when I was in grade 8, somebody came to me and shared the gospel, and I said yes to Jesus, and I never looked back since then. And if I'll be given another chance to make the decision, I'll still yes, say yes to Jesus. Now, what is, what is the state of evangelism in our church today? What is the state of evangelism in our churches world over today now recently there's been a phenomenon where there's been a growing gap between evangelism in theory and evangelism in practice many believers have the theory of evangelism but never get to the point of actually doing the evangelizing they understand that i need to reach out but they never get to the point of actually reaching out and that gap has been growing from year to year. There's a group called the Banner Group. It's a research institute in the United States. They do a lot of research in the, in the kingdom, in the, in, amongst believers. And one of the researches that they've been doing was around this whole aspect of evangelism, the practicality of evangelism, and the attitudes among believers. Now, I want to build a case here. I want to build a case for disciple making. And I want you to just trek with me this morning. And as I do that, just listen to the heartbeat of God. And if you are convicted, make a decision to change certain things in your life. What is the research that they came up with? The first point is, 73% of born-again Christians believe that they have a personal responsibility to share their faith with others. 73% believe they have a conviction that they have a responsibility to share the gospel. It means that there is another portion, around 27%, that doesn't believe that. If I extrapolate that step to this church, it would mean 25% of us right now don't actually believe that they have a responsibility to share the gospel. If the shoe fits, wear it today. And hear my heart. 25% don't carry the conviction. 
Now here I'm simply talking about the conviction. So 73% believe that they have a personal responsibility. Let's take it down further. However, of that 75%, only 52% have actually shared the gospel once in the previous year. Only 52% have shared the gospel at least once in the previous 12 months. That 52% looks good, but if you remember that we are only talking about the 75% of believers. Now if I look at the totality of believers, that number goes down to 37%. So only 37% of born-again believers have actually shared the gospel in the past 12 months with somebody. 37%. Almost one in four. This is my question. Are you part of the 37% or you're part of the 63% that haven't even shared the gospel in the past 12 months? Just think about that. Let's take it further. You see, the population, the demographics of the population is split up into different segments. We talk about the baby boomers. We talk about the baby bastards. We talk about the millennial generation. We talk about the high-tech generation these days. And I believe when I look at our church, the majority of us fall within the millennial generation and the baby bastards. So I'm going to give you stats around that category because that is where you fit. Now, as far as the millennials are concerned, these are the guys who are between 18 and 34 years of age right now. And if I look across our church, we predominantly in that, in that bracket. Now, of the millennials, 65% have presented the gospel in the past year. 65%. That sounds great because they are above the normal, the average. However, if you drill further down to that stat, you'll understand that the millennials have a reputation of dropping out of their faith. So all of the guys who are between 18 and 34, they get born again, but when they go to varsity, they lose their faith. Or if they survive university, when they go to work in their first year of working, they forsake their their, their faith. So what that means is that the the millennial generation has the smallest percentage of believers. And because they are almost like a, a species that is going extinct, those who have remained in the gospel, they believe so much in their faith that they want to share it with others. That is why the percentage is high. They feel like they they are fighting against a huge tide of these millennials who don't believe in Jesus. The millennials are the people who want to try out so many religions. That is why you find that the guys in university, they go on another tangent as far as their belief system is concerned. That is what is happening in the millennial generation. And therefore, those who are still here, when I look at most of you, you've got a very strong conviction around the gospel that you want to prove to your other Counterparts that Jesus is for real. That is why the percentage is high. So let's not get too excited about the 65% you find among the millennials. It's because it's a group of people that is in dire straits concerning the gospel. Let's take it further. Baby bastards. Those born between 1965 and 1980. They used to be very enthusiastic about God. Such that in 1998, 63% of them shared the gospel once a year. But today as we speak, that percentage has gone down to 48%. 
Baby busters who are in church today, there is a problem in that category. You see, baby busters are people who were raised by the baby boomers. The baby boomers were, the parents were hard taskmasters. They spent almost all their time at work. And whenever they came back home, they were very hard with their kids. And what that did to the children who were born in this period, had a, they have a feeling of alienation. They feel like their parents really don't care about them. They've been called all sorts of names. The baby pastors are seen as useless, lazy, not wanting to commit to anything. That's how the baby busters are defined. And because of that, it has affected their psychic with re regards to relationship. They are very skeptic when it comes to relationship. They will only commit if they really, really know that you care for them. As a result, when it comes to sharing the gospel, they're not really excited about it. Do you fit in that category today? Let's take it further down. We talk about income brackets, right? We talk about high-income earners, middle-income earners, high-income earners. My question to you today, of these three categories, who do you think really shares the gospel more? The most of the three categories, the high-income earners. High-income earners, these are people who earn above 600,000 rand in our South African terms per annum. 600,000. Middle-income earners, you're talking about 360,000 rand. Somewhere there. Low income earners, 100,000 to 120,000 rand a year. Now look at what is happening with these categories. The low income earners, the stats say nearly 57% of them have shared the gospel in the past 12 months. It's almost like the low income earners are above the average of normal Christians. These are people who understand what it means to have faith for the next meal. To have faith to put fuel in their car. To have faith to pay for their rental. To pay for their mortgages. They understand the need to believe in God. And therefore they're saying, I want to share this with my, my, with my friends. Low income earners. Let's go to the middle income earners, which most of you fit in. Middle income earners. The percentage is 37%. 37% of low of middle income earners share the gospel. You see, in our South African context, these are the guys who are called the black diamonds. These are the guys who are making it in the corporate world. These are the guys who are getting the promotion and the rand is coming fast, quicker and quicker into their lives. These are the guys who are pursuing business deals, the entrepreneurs. These are the people who are excited about the next vehicle that is on the market. And in the process of pursuing worldly wealth, the middle income earners have forgotten about the gospel. If you are a middle income earner today, how many people have you spoken to about Jesus in the past 12 months? I think these stats are quite accurate. Now let's talk about the high income earners. Guys above the 600, 700,000 rand mark in a year. This sit neck on neck with the, with the average Christians, 52% of them. Do you know why the high income earners have raised, have grown up in terms of their sharing of the gospel? These guys have gone through the phase of being cheesed out with money coming in. They've realized that life is more than cash. It's more than the cars we drive. It's more than the type of house we stay in. Because if you die today, none of you will be buried with their money in their coffins. If that happens, that money will rot anyway. 
So it looks like the high income earners have learned their lessons. They've understood that life is more than finances. God has given me something, I might as well share it with somebody because I have the capacity to share the gospel. Glory be to God. Do you feel me this morning? Where are you with regards to sharing the gospel? Whether you're a low-income earner, middle-income earner, high-income earner, the issue is our calling is to making of disciples. Now, what is at the center of this situation? It is important for you and I to realize and to understand why are we struggling as believers to share the gospel? I want to point to you a number of things. There are a number of reasons why believers are not sharing the gospel. Remember, the Lord Jesus said, Go. And the, our name, the church of our name is Go. And how much going has been going on? Excuse the pen. But how much going has been going on? That is a good reality. How much walking on the streets have been going on? You can answer that question. Now, these are some of the reasons why believers have not been sharing the gospel. Number one, Christians have no sense of agency to reach lost people. It is as simple as that. If you be truthful with me, you will say, yes, yes, pastor. If, if I say something that applies to you, you can say, ouch. All right? I'll allow you to say, ouch. You know? So, Christians have no sense of agency to reach lost people. Exactly. Thank you, Cindy. We don't have the agency. We, we don't understand the importance of reaching lost souls. Number two, many Christians and church members do not fully appreciate the, the implications of the death of a sinner. Many believers do not appreciate the implications of the death of a sinner. I don't know our belief system. Maybe we don't believe there's no hell. Maybe we don't believe there's hell. We think it's just a fictitious story. People of God, the reality of the matter is this. Headlines. If somebody dies in their sin, they go straight to hell. They are separated from God for eternity. And it's not just separation. It's separation with suffering. We were brying a couple of, uh, two weeks ago. And the fire there was like a ball of fire. And my brother, my, my, my light, my pale brother, was, he was getting red. You can see, he's like, the fire is just too... Do you remember that, Eugene? The fire was just too much. And I said to Martha, imagine, this temperature is just this fire. Imagine in hell. How is it going to feel like? I don't want to go there. The issue is that we don't appreciate the implications of somebody dying in sin. We have lied to ourselves by saying, rest in peace. May your soul rest in peace. I don't know what we mean by that. When somebody is a sinner, their soul is not resting, brother. It's not resting at all. That is why as believers, we need to reevaluate some of these statements. When we say, may his soul rest in peace. And yet you know he was not born again. Should we be saying that or we should be lamenting in our hearts? When your mama doesn't know Jesus, if she kicks the bucket today, God forbid. But if it happens and she doesn't know Jesus, there is no recourse. 
There is no recourse. The opportunity is gone. The Bible says it is destined for men to, to die, to live and to die once and be judged. That's what it is. We don't appreciate the implications of one dying in their sin. I lost one of my parents in 1993. Up to now, I still have the question of where my dad is right now. You see, my dad died on the 11th of March, 1993. I got born again on the 8th of March, 1993. Exactly four, three days after I got born again. I never had a chance to share with him the gospel. No, I didn't. I was in high school somewhere. He was another 140 k's away where we stayed. He stroked and it was almost like an accident. Gone. So today I think, where is he? I loved my dad so much. And that revelation brought me to a place where I shared the gospel with my mom. And today my mom is a firebrand in the Lord. She preaches. She loves the Lord with all her heart. If she kicks the bucket, I mean if she dies today, I know she's going to be with the Lord. Oh, you didn't get that one before. Yeah. But do you know why? Death is, is, is a terrible thing, but when it happens with somebody who knows Jesus, you cry with hope. That is why the Bible says we do not cry like those who do not have hope. Where does our hope come from that one day we'll reconnect with them? But if they died in their sins, there's no point of hoping. You won't be connected with them. Are you getting something this morning, child of God? Number three, many Christians and church members are lazy. They are just lazy and apathetic. Sometimes just too busy for life. Do you realize that you get the unction to share the gospel, but you just feel tired? You're like, ah, no. I'm not going to start this. Because I've come to believe that to engage in a spiritual conversation takes a, takes a lot of effort. To engage somebody in a spiritual conversation is so difficult, and yet it's easy to talk about what happened between Western Province and the Lions when they're playing rugby. It's easy to talk about the drum magazine. It's easy to talk about all these funny things. But when it comes to talk about the gospel, all of a sudden you feel all sorts of pains in your body. You've got all sorts of reasons why it is not convenient. You're like, ah, he's reading a book. Imagine you're at a car wash. You've got your car there being cleaned. Quietly, you know what I'm talking about. Your car is being cleaned there, and his car is being cleaned there. He's sitting there on that small table. And then you feel the unction in your heart. Share the word. Share the word. And then the devil whispers, nya, 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 nya. he's tired. Nya, 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 nya. He's not interested in talking. And then you brush these things aside. That is what we've been doing as believers. We look for every reason why we should not share the gospel. Hmm. Number four, we are more known for what we are against than what we are for. Believers are known for we don't drink, we don't swear, we don't sleep around before marriage, we don't do this and this and this. But what do you do? For a moment, just tell me what you do. We need to change our lingo to come to a place where we share the love of God. We share the agape type of love. We share the God kind of life. We share the peace of God. We carry the shalom of God. If you want some, come get some. Because I carry it. Glory be to God. What are you for? Don't tell me what you don't do. 
Maybe we don't know what we're for. Okay, let's move on. Number five, Christians play the waiting game. Wait for sinners to come rather than go and fish for them. We wait for people to come to Jesus. We wait for them to say, I'm very dirty. Can you please clean me up? No. The people who are dirty don't realize that they are dirty until they are told that you are dirty somewhere. Glory be to God. We play the waiting game. That is why people don't come to Jesus. Many church members think that evangelism is a role of the pastor and paid staff. Now, in the context of our church, if you say it's a roll up, then there's nobody who's going to preach here. Because nobody is paid in our church. Then who is going to preach? So many believers think that evangelism is the role of the pastor and the paid staff. Hmm. Have you been thinking like that? Number seven, most Christians are self-centered. And coming to church, it's all about get my needs met rather than reaching the, the lost. Get my needs met. Pray for me. Visit me. Ah, you did not visit me when we had a baby. We pick offense on issues like that. You see, when we are concerned about the business of the kingdom, there are certain things that will never offend you because there's bigger fish to fry. The reason why there are all these politics in church, pulling and tagging, is because we are not busy with the business of the kingdom. We are busy with our own business. And therefore we start noticing issues. He did not greet me today. He did not greet me today. He looked at me too much when he was preaching. What did he see in me? If my eyes land on you, God bless you. <laughs> Hallelujah. What am I saying here? When we are busy with the business of the kingdom, our hearts get so knitted on the bigger issues. We're like, how can we reach high veld for God? How can I reach my, my complex for God? Please, guys, come. Let's do street evangelism. Hmm. Church members, number eight, church members are backing away from engaging the ungodly culture they face. That is one of the reasons why we're not sharing the gospel. We are backing away from the ungodly culture that we are facing every single day. Because wherever you go, the talk is ungodly. The conversation is anti-God. And you're saying, how can I engage this? We back off. We find comfort in not confronting. We find comfort in running away behind our desks. Number nine, many church members don't really believe that Christ is the only way of salvation. Unfortunately, that is what we're facing. Many Christians think that there's another way out to God. As a result, they have not been sharing the gospel because they think they can find a solution somewhere else. Child of God, today, in the absence of Jesus, people are lost. They can never find their way to God because he is the only way to God. And as believers, we need to have that revelation and that conviction that the only way to God is Jesus Christ. Number 10, less and less Christians value prayer and are ill-equipped to reach the, the, the lost. Less and less Christians value prayer. You see, as I go further down, there's a very strong correlation between praying for people and reaching them out for Jesus. The more you pray for somebody, the bigger the burden it grows in your heart to reach them out. 
That is why the Bible says pray for your enemies. When you pray for your enemy, your heart gets softened towards them and you start responding to them the way God would. But less and less Christians value prayer. Ignite on Fridays. How many people pitch up for Ignite? A third of us. What happens to the two-thirds? Could that be the reason why we still have empty chairs in our church today? Could that be the reason why crypto craft comes and they're taking over our parking bays? I have issues with that. I came here on Friday. This place was smelling of booze. There were no parking bays and that place was buzzing. Crypto craft has only been there for a month. And how many years have we been here? Six years. Six solid years, and yet capital craft comes within a month. The whole car park is taken out. Let's think about it. Ouch. Number 11. Churches have lost their focus on making disciples who will thus be equipped and motivated to reach the lost. Churches have lost the focus in raising disciples who will make other disciples. The people that I disciple, am I equipping them enough to feel the, the hunger and the desire to share Jesus with their friends? Or I'm, 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 I'm discipling them to such an extent that there's a dependent syndrome. They just want me to talk to them. They just want me to pray for them. Are we raising crippled disciples? Disciples who cannot run by, by themselves. Disciples who only think of you when they are sick and they want you to pray for them. God forbid. Jesus says go and make disciples of all nations. He knew that he had already put in them what they needed to make disciples of all nations. When we're making disciples, we need to make sure that we put in them the DNA that enables them to make other disciples. Mm. Number 12. Christians do not want to share the truth of the gospel for the fear of offending others. Political correctedness has become too common amongst believers. You want to sound politically correct all the time. You do not want to upset the apple cart. You don't want to cause chaos in the office. You don't want to rock the boat. Guess what? When Jesus came, he did not only rock the boat, he broke the boat. The Pharisees didn't like him. Jesus went after them and he told them, you hypocrites, you whitewashed tombstones. That is the Jesus that I know. The Jesus who rose from the dead. Death could not conquer him. That is the Jesus that we represent. Now many people want to be politically correct all the time. You can't be both politically correct and share the gospel at the same time. It won't work. Because the moment you mention Jesus, controversy erupts. You can mention God and you'll be at peace with everybody because they're different gods. You can mention God amongst the Hindus and you'll be on the same page and they won't have issues. But the moment you say Jesus, all of a sudden you stare the horn in the nest and you're like, what? You're talking about Jesus. You're bringing this thing here in the parliament because you've mentioned the name of Jesus. Number 13. This is a real ouch for real. Most churches have unregenerated members who have not received Christ themselves. Because if Jesus inhabits my heart, for real, 
If I'm the body of Christ, I've got to speak for Jesus. I've got to walk for him. But we find that yeah, amongst believers, there are those who think they are believers and yet they are not. The Bible says you shall know them by their fruits. So when I come and shake the tree, what fruit drops? What fruit will drop in your life? Is it disciples who drop in your life? Or is it a green bottle that drops? I don't know. I'm just saying. You will know them by their fruit. Glory be to God. I like dropping some of these things sometimes. Just to make you think a little bit. So, so most churches have unregenerated members who have not received Christ themselves. Do a self-inspection today. Who lives in your heart? Is it Christ in the center? Is he Lord and Savior of your life today? Because we say, Jesus, come into my life. Be the Lord and the Savior of my life. So there are two parts receiving Jesus. One, he comes and he saves you. And two, he becomes your Lord. Many people have stopped where he's just a Savior. But when Jesus comes and he takes over his role as the Lord in your life, he will detect what you do. And his heartbeat is for the nations. His heartbeat is for the dying souls out there in Highfield. I'll do the last one now. Our churches have too many activities. Well, our church is different. We don't have too many activities, if you think about it. But our churches, generally speaking, have too many activities. We are too busy to do the things that really matter. You see, there's nothing wrong with having singles meeting, married meeting, men's meeting, women's meeting, children's meeting. There's nothing wrong with having all sorts of meetings right through the week to a point where every single night you are in church. But there is a problem when that is all that we do. When you say, guys, I have to be at church every night. When am I going to get the time to witness to my neighbor? Then that becomes a problem. The church is becoming a God to us. And the God of the church is out of the church. Where are we today? Is the God of the church on the throne today telling us, go and make disciples? Or we are saying, no, 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 we want to meet here. Now, how do we turn this situation around? That is the next aspect I want to deal with. So we have looked at the state of evangelism today. And we've seen only 52% of those who believe in reaching out are actually reaching out, which makes it only 37% of born-again Christians sharing the gospel. Now, how do we turn around this tide? Number one, it is important for you and I to develop an accurate view of the state of man. I've alluded to this already. You need to develop an accurate view of the state of man. This is the issue. We are usually deceived by looks and we tend to think all is well with my neighbors. And this is a lie from the pits of hell. We are deceived by the flashy cars that we drive and we think all is well with him. We look at the title in the front of their desk as the MD and we think all is well with them. We look at the houses from which they come from and we think all is well. Child of God, it is important for us to realize that heaven is for born-again Christians and not good people. 
Thank you. Thank you, Master. This is the reality of the matter. But heaven is not for good people. Heaven is for those who have believed in the Son of God. Because there are so many good believers who are hell-bound. Good people. Good people who are hell-bound. You look at your friend, you're like, he's really a good guy. Eh? He's a great guy. Eh? He's really nice to be around. I enjoy his company. Guess what? He's a good non-believer. Hell-bound. I'm sorry to say that. But I've got to say it for us to wake up and to see people in the real state. We can smile. We can dress up. We can look good. We can smell great. But when Jesus is not in the context, it's all a waste. So we need to have the right view of people. You see, you need to understand that sin entered human race as a result of the sin that was committed by Adam and Eve. So there is no one who is born as a believer. You hear many people that I was born as a Christian. I, I was raised in a Christian family. That doesn't make you a believer. Now you as a believer, you need to understand that being born in a Christian family doesn't make that person a Christian. My daughter, my son, go to come to a point of saying, Jesus, come into my life. Make me a child of God. Forgive me of all my sins. I have realized that I'm a sinner. Make me a new today. Bernice has to make that prayer herself. Despite that she's born in a Christian family. So you hear people telling you that I was born in a Christian family. There is no one born as a Christian. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. That is the point. So because Adam sinned, everybody who is born of a woman is born into sin. That's the nature of man. 1 John 1 verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So it doesn't matter how nice your boyfriend is. If he's not born again, you're not supposed to be in that relationship. The Bible says, how can light and darkness mix? Do not be unequally yoked. Many people try to rationalize relationships. And say, he's going to change. You're not God. It's not your business to change people. It is God's business to change people. So when you say he's going to change, you're playing God. And you better remain playing God for the rest of your life. I'm telling you, when you, when you get married to a non-believer, whether it's a, the man or the woman, doesn't really matter. Because you're trying to play God in their lives, they will come to you asking for things that God alone can provide. Will you provide it? I know when love is in the context, some of these things are thrown out of the window. You're like, these pastors are nasty. These guys don't understand. They don't feel us. That they're not. They don't feel us. I hear sisters telling me, yeah, in the church, there's nobody. There's nobody home. I look around like, but there's this guy at work. Pastor, this guy is smart. He gets me. He gets you. He's going to keep on getting you. <laughs> let's leave it there. So a sinner is a sinner, period. Let's, re let's trust God for their salvation. And don't take the responsibility to change them. Because you can't. And by the way, brothers, this applies to you. 
If you say, Pastor, there are no sisters in the church. The sisters in the church don't have the groove I'm looking for. But this one, eh. <laughs> do your thing. But don't call us for, uh, for counseling because it's a fetal complete. It's done. All right. So it's important for you and I to realize that man cannot save himself. As simple as it sounds. But that's the reality. You, you're just hoping one day she might receive Christ. No. They cannot save themselves unless you go to them and appeal and say there's Jesus who loves you. You tell them he died for you on the cross. The stuff you're going through, there's a solution on the cross. Glory be to God. We need to appeal to man so that in the process, their heart will be open to Jesus. The Bible says, how can they believe in whom they've not heard of? And how can they preach if they've not been sent? And guess what? Unless you disqualify yourself, the moment you became a Christian, you are subscribed to the army. You are part of this army. And now if you start behaving as if you are living in a demilitarized zone, you have a problem. Heaven is counting on us. So man cannot save himself. And unless he's appealed to, he is not inclined to follow God. You see, when man is left to his own propensity, he has a, an inclination to degenerate, to die, to go down. Leave man without the law. You see what happens on the roads. Put off the traffic lights. And then see what happens. I drove in a certain country a couple of months ago. I have never been terrorized like that on the road. It's like people all of a sudden, they have forgotten about first in, first out on a four-way stop. So there I was, I was first in in the four-way stop, hoping that these guys would stop and give me a chance to go. Uh, I stood there for a good five minutes until I pushed my way in. I'm like, I might as well do like they do, otherwise I'm not going to leave. <laughs> you see, that's the heart of man. The Bible says the heart of a man is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? It's desperately wicked. So when man is left to his own devices, he kills himself, literally. It's important for you and I to understand that without Jesus, man is condemned for eternity. And I think that revelation is missing in our psychic as believers sometimes. We rationalize and we think maybe there will be grace after they died. No. Look at this, Matthew 25, verse 31 to 33. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. So in heaven, you'll have an understanding of a goat and a sheep. Verse 41 says, Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. You see, those who don't know God, they're busy populating a place where it was never designed for them. Hell was never designed for people. 
It was designed for the devil and his, and his, and his demon, demons. Therefore, when you start thinking like that, realize that there is eternity. You see, the life we are living right now is only a fraction of eternity. Now remember, that fraction determines the entire of eternity. The 70 plus years you're going to live on earth determine how you're going to spend your eternity. Let's do something with the little that God has given us. So that is the point today. That we need to have a revelation of the state of man. That men without Jesus are lost. When you have that revelation, all of a sudden it changes the way you view your sister who is not born again. The way you view your brother who is not born again. The way you view your friend who is very nice and not born again. Glory be to God. I'm going to cover the last point. It is time for you and I to turn our convictions into action. We need to come to a place that we are done with talking. We are done with just believing. You see, it's not enough to only have a conviction. You need to live it out. Remember the stats. Only 37% of born-again people share the gospel. You see, we have too many well-meaning believers with great intentions who fall short of the practicalities of their faith. We are all well-meaning here, but we fall short sometimes when it comes to reaching the lost. Now listen to the issue of not putting action to our faith. James 2 verse 19. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. Verse 20. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Now, us not sharing the gospel, to some level, is it not making our faith useless in that aspect? You see, living out your conviction is equivalent to carrying your own cross. I've come to realize that Christians are very good at wearing the cross on their chest, but very bad at carrying the cross on their shoulder. If I can ask you today, are you wearing your cross? A number of us will say, yeah, I got one. Got a cross. Yes, it's easy to have the cross on the chest. We are wearing the cross. But Jesus was not talking about that way of carrying the cross. Matthew 16 verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross and follow me. Does it mean that when I don't share the gospel, I'm showing traits of selfishness? I'm being selfish in terms, in the eyes of Jesus. Because Jesus said, Michael, I saved you from your sins. You have benefited from the cross. How come you're not sharing with your neighbor? You see, taking up the cross means a willingness to endure shame. You see, when you have to share the gospel, you've got to be prepared there will be times where there's shame that will come your way. Carrying the cross means there's a willingness to suffer. Even to the extent of dying for Jesus. If you go to some of these Arabic countries, you see how believers are being killed for believing in Jesus. How they're being tortured because they believe in Jesus. Because they're sharing the gospel. 
There are certain countries where you, can, you cannot even take the Bible into the country. People have to smuggle the Bibles into the country. And people can't meet in an open place like us today. They meet underground and there's a thriving church underground. But here we are today with the liberties of meeting in a place like this. The liberties of carrying the Bible with us. And yet, we don't want to be inconvenienced a little bit to share the gospel. You see, when Jesus says, if any man is to follow me, he's saying, I want you to live a life of humility, like I do, like I did. I want you to live a life of poverty in the spirit. I want you to live a life of compassion, of love, of grace. The Bible says in Luke 9, 26, if anyone is ashamed of me and my message, are we ashamed of the message of Jesus? Because of how much ungodliness is going on, it is becoming unpopular to share the gospel. But I've come to realize when we start sharing the gospel, there's such hunger out there. There's such need. People will tell you what you're doing is no longer common. May God bless you for doing this. We need to hear this. And because we've not been sharing the gospel for so long, even in our own minds we are convinced that people don't want to hear the gospel. We've got to have a renewed mind. It's only when you start doing something that you realize that there is a huge need actually. People need Jesus. Glory be to God. I'm going to finish there today. But again, what is the greatest act of love for you? And as I've taken you through today, it is to share something with somebody that will transform their eternity. From condemnation to a place where they are with their father for life. So where are you at today? What type of love have you been sharing? Is it an act of love that is short-sighted, that only satisfies in a temporary manner, and leaving the eternity side of things untouched? Let's stand on our feet.